A quick note before I preach, and I I failed to mention, you may have seen an email on this, but uh, hopefully those who are members of our church are well aware that immediately after worship today, after the benediction, we'll have about a five to ten minute meeting, if you're a member, where you'll have an opportunity for the first time to sign our membership covenant. And we are uh, all kinds of excited about this. And so uh, three kinds of people are in the room this morning. Those who are members who are planning to sign, uh, hang on afterwards and you can do that. Those who are members who either are planning not to sign or uh, interested, want to hear the discussion, come, be a part of it, and listen in, and uh, see what you think. You may also be with us and not a member, but curious anyway, and want to see what this looks like. Stay, and listen, and observe, and see what you think. Um, But members uh, are those who have the opportunity to sign. Okay. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you said, how much value is a man? You say that to a 21st century American culture that treats human life cheap. We need that question. On multiple levels, we need that question as a culture. And of course, we might answer that question with another question, which is, what would you give in exchange for your soul? There's nothing, there's no price that could possibly be too high that we could exchange for a human soul. Even people's bodies are bought today in slavery, but not their souls. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would care about souls that we would do soul care. Help us to spiral a step closer today toward this thing called biblical counseling. Help us to learn about bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. In Jesus' name, amen. Biblical counselor Ed Welch describes depression by quoting a folk musician who writes, I felt like I was walking through a field of dead flowers and found one beautiful rose, but when I went down to smell it, I fell into an invisible hole. Victorian Baptist preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, The mind can descend far lower than the body, for in it are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more. But the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. 18th century poet and hymn writer William Cooper, who struggled mightily with despair, wrote these lines. It's a song. I hear but seem to hear in vain insensible as steel. If aught is felt, tis only pain to find I cannot feel. Thy saints are comforted, I know, and love thy house, thy house of prayer. I sometimes go where others go, but find no comfort there. 
Oh, make this heart rejoice or ache. Decide this doubt for me. And if it be not broken, break and heal it if it be. Well, the images are diverse, aren't they? But they're all variations on a minor key. Death, holes, pits, wounds, bleeding, vanity, emptiness, coldness, numbness, doubt. Mount Evangelical Free Church, welcome to depression. Studies show that about 350 million people globally are affected by it. Personally, I think that number is a modest one. I think the number is much higher than that. Some reports say that 11% of adolescents will be clinically diagnosed with depression before the age of 18. Roughly 16 million adults in the U.S. will experience at least one major depressive episode in their lifetime. Though men are certainly affected by this, it is routinely demonstrated that women these days are, in point of fact, 70% more likely to enter into depression than their male counterparts. Did you know that? Uh, Some of that is owing to the phenomena of postpartum depression experienced by about 14% of mothers. Did you know that 30% of all college students in this nation exhibit depressive symptoms? 30%. And then hold on to your seat for this final statistic. Each year in our country, about $80 billion are consumed either in health care costs or in lost productivity on the job due to depression. $80 billion a year. Is depression a problem in our culture? Yes, it is. Is depression a problem unique to our culture? No, it is not. In fact, depression can be demonstrated quite simply all over the pages of Holy Scripture. It's everywhere, and we'll get there in a second. Before we press ahead, allow me to address one question that I hope is on many people's minds, and that question is this. We could say it three ways. Uh, First, what is the role of the physical body in this? Or, what is the role of the medical doctor in this? Or, more to the point, what is the role of psychiatric medications or the use of psychotropic drugs with reference to depression? The question is an excellent one. And the answer has everything to do with Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Perhaps you'll recall that Genesis 2-7 contains the recipe for man-making. Remember that? The Lord God formed the man from dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And we said this a few weeks ago, but that word for uh, living creature is the, the original. The word is soul, a living soul. And so if we are about the care and the cure of the human soul, then we must bear in mind that you and me and the people we love are not disembodied spirits, ever. Now, people aren't ghosts. They're guys and gals with bodies. 
And every single problem we face is a problem we face as dust and breath, right? Material and immaterial. Therefore, issues like daily diet, sleep habits, exercise patterns, these are all part of the depression equation. I bear witness to that every time I run my four miles on the Dakota Trail. I feel awful at the beginning and fabulous at the end of it. Why? Because I have a body. Every one of us ought to be in periodic contact with a medical doctor just as a matter of wisdom. And as to answer whether or not you ought or ought not to be taking prescription medication for depression, it's an answer that you need to arrive at with the help of your medical doctor. And if you don't like their advice, seek a second opinion from another medical doctor. Hear me. I will never, ever, 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 ever seek to encourage or discourage you from the use of psychiatric medication. Ever. Did I say ever? Why? Because I'm not a doctor. And neither are you, unless you're a doctor. (laughs) There's always one. These discussions can and should happen parallel to one another. They don't cancel one another out, okay? Let the docs deal with your dust. Now the breath, ah. The breath is the domain of the church of Jesus Christ. It always has been. And this is ground that we must not concede. So what do we do? How do we counsel someone that we care about who's struggling with depression? Here's the big idea. Depression is dominated by how people feel. So our task in biblical counseling is to point them toward what's real. Not to say that your feelings aren't always real. It's just that your feelings can't always be, what? Trusted. Depression is dominated by how people feel. So our task in biblical counseling is to point them toward what's real. We'll begin this week where we began the last two weeks, and that would be with the five keys to gospel-saturated soul care. Don't think of these as steps in a conveyor belt. Think of these as, I said this morning, five keys jangling off your belt that you're helping someone else out with. You need to understand them. You need to appreciate them, you need to empathize with them, you need to confess you're a whole lot like them, and they need to counsel God's word to them. You need to have all five of those keys with you at all times if you're going to be of assistance to somebody. Don't minimize these keys. These five keys are biblical counseling. They are. You say, I just want to tell them what the Bible says. (laughs) Then please listen to me. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Take it down. Mark it down. Love them. Love will cover a multitude of counseling sins. And so if you want to counsel like Jesus, who's the wonderful counselor, just get these into your DNA. Live these. This is love. Understand, appreciate, empathize, confess, then counsel. Okay, so let's say you're there. Let's say you've gotten that far with your friend. You have the sense that your friend is wrestling with depression. How do you counsel? Two points today. Depression is dominated by how people feel. So our task in biblical counseling is to point them towards what's real. First point today. They feel 
internally broken. So point them to the servant who heals such hurts. They feel internally broken. So point them to the servant who heals such hurts. Matthew 12, 20 says of Jesus Christ, a bruised reed he will not break. This is, this is really good news. What does that mean? A bruised reed he will not break. Well, if you have your Bible open to Matthew 12, you'll notice it's a quotation. That verse that Caleb read for us, among some others, are drawn from Isaiah chapter 42. Specifically, this phrase is from Isaiah 42.3. And if you were to turn to Isaiah 42, you'd find yourself on the front end of what are known as the servant songs of Isaiah. The servant songs. The servant is Jesus. So these are Old Testament, prophetic, poetic songs about Israel's promised Messiah. That's Jesus. And in Isaiah 42, 3, it says about Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break. Now, in context, this is awesome. Isaiah is contrasting King Jesus with King Cyrus. Cyrus was the king of Persia. And Isaiah 41.25 says of Cyrus, He shall trample on rulers as on mortar, as the potter treads clay. In other words, Cyrus is going to swagger his way to power. He's going to flex his military might. He will trample and crush and flatten anyone who gets in his path. And he did. Then we read of another king, a servant he's called. In Isaiah 42, 1, and in Matthew 12, 18, we read, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift. This is really good news for the depressed. He won't cry aloud or lift up his voice. In the streets, a bruised reed he will not break. One more text observation before we do some text application. Matthew 12.20 and Isaiah 42.3 say that a bruised reed he will not break. Bruised. Now, if you have an ESV, you should see a footnote in verse 4. Verse 4 goes on to say of the servant... He will not grow faint or discouraged. You have that footnote? Some of you should. He will not grow faint or discouraged. The word for discouraged in verse 4 is the word for bruised in verse 3. It's the exact same word in Hebrew, same word. You say, why does that matter? It matters for a couple of practical reasons, both of them intimately connected to how Jesus deals with the depressed. First, notice that if bruised means discouraged, and it does, then discouraged means bruised, and it does, then we essentially have two synonyms, two helpful biblical descriptors for depression. Secondly, 
the very individual that he's so tender with, the bruised reed, he's not actually like the bruised reed. Isaiah 42.4 is nothing if not clear. He will not grow faint or discouraged, bruised. Is depression sin? I'll be honest with you. I reject the question. Not because there's no answer to it, but rather because the answer to the question is a nuanced one. When you think depression, don't think toggle switch. Think dimmer switch. Is depression sinful? Depression's a spectrum. On the one end, on the healthy end, is sadness, sorrow, grief, mourning, the blues. These are good. And they're right. Something's very wrong if we don't experience these things in this world. Jesus, in this sense, got depressed. On the other hand, on the other side of the continuum, if you just slide that dimmer switch to the right, you begin to see responses, thoughts, moods, behaviors like discouragement, disappointment, discontentment, unmet expectations, murmuring, complaining, muttering, sulking, whining, despondency, desolation, hopelessness, misery, despair, unbelief, suicide. Did Jesus get depressed? Not in these ways. So is depression sin? It entirely depends on which side of the continuum you're talking about. You say, okay, continuum, can you break it down for me? I can. I can tweet it for you right now. You ready for this? A couple of weeks ago, I read this. Somebody tweeted this. Jesus blesses mourning, not moping. Blessed are those who mourn, not mope. It's a dimmer switch. It's not a toggle switch. I want us to give us another, another maxim here I hope will always stay with us. This is a truth, actually, that I'm going to share that we can and will build our future counseling ministry upon it here and our current counseling ministry. Here it is. Biblically unsupervised thinking always casts shadows on the truth. Got that phrase from Ed Welch. Biblically unsupervised thinking always casts shadows on the truth. Ed Welch said that in his book on addiction. Is depression sin? It's a well-meaning question. It's just a shallow one. It's not nuanced enough. Some depression is sin and some ain't. If it shades toward mourning, then no, it's not sin in that way. If it shades towards moping, you're getting there, you see? Biblically unsupervised thinking always casts shadows in the truth. Uh, John Piper once wrote, Our Christian living is lamed, disabled, by sub-Christian thinking about living. Say it again. Our Christian living is lamed by sub-Christian thinking about living. Take the word depression. It describes how this thing feels. Depression feels like being pressed down. Feels that way. But depression doesn't just come at us. It also comes up from within us. 
This is what most people don't see. Especially as it relates to the darker side. Disappointment, discouragement, despondency, despair. These things are unbelief. Pure and simple. If you're not convinced yet that Christians ought to think or live this way or counsel this way with regard to depression, then okay. Let me give you two biblical examples. Luke writes of the reaction of Peter and the apostles to their persecution in Acts 5.41. Let me um, paraphrase it. Acts 5.41. They left the presence of the council understandably dejected, for they suffered dishonor for the name. Is that what he wrote? That's not biblical. That is not what it says. It says, after they had been beaten, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. Rejoicing. Or James... James 1-2. Count it all misfortune, brothers, and exercise your right to feel dejected and despondent when you meet trials of various kinds. That's not what he said. And I roll my eyes like you do every time I read James 1-2. I go, this guy goes to a church in Houston that meets at the Rockets Old Complex. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. When you meet trials of various kinds, suffering comes at us, and depression mainly comes up from within us. Picture it this way. I heard a picture of this about a year ago. You are a ketchup packet. You're a Heinz 57 ketchup packet, and suffering goes, and out comes what was in. Why did joy come out of Peter? Why? Because the Holy Spirit was pulsing in his life. Why did Jesus, for the joy set before him, go to the cross? Grace. And why do I whine and moan when I can't get the Redbox movie out? I'm a wimp. Okay, I lost my place. So here's what's amazing about Jesus. He doesn't bless the mopers. But he does bring hope to them. What does our text say? A bruised reed he won't break. Translation, Jesus doesn't despise the depressed. This is awesome. This is so awesome. He's not severe with them. He doesn't resent them or steamroll them. If you're feeling depressed today, whether mourning or moping, Jesus knows that you feel bruised and he won't break you. He won't. But he does want to talk to you. In fact, he wants you to talk to yourself. Do you know why God put ears on the outside of your head? Because you're not supposed to listen to yourself. You're supposed to listen to the Bible. And the Bible says in Psalm 42, 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Why are you cast down? If you or someone you love is struggling with depression, ask yourself or ask them some basic questions. What am I thinking? 
What am I feeling? How am I behaving? Or you can descend a level deeper and say, why am I thinking this way? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I acting this way? And then if you want to go 20,000 leagues under the sea, as you should, say, what am I wanting? What am I craving and desiring? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you a turmoil within me? Ask yourself or your friend those questions and then let the dimmer switch slide. And just be honest about where it is. And confess it as sin if it's moping. And embrace it with joy if it's morning. If it's morning, just look over Psalm 13. That was last week's sermon on suffering. But biblically unsupervised thinking always casts shadows on the truth. Depression is dominated by how people feel, so our task in biblical counseling is to point them toward what's real. They feel, it doesn't matter what you think, they feel internally broken. That's what you have in front of you. So point them toward the Savior, the servant, who heals such hurts. A bruised reed he won't break. Second and final point today. How do they feel? They feel hopelessly spent. So tell them to hope in God who is worthy of their praise. They feel, it's what they feel, they feel hopelessly spent. So tell them to hope in God who is worthy of their praise. Now, not only does Matthew 12.20 assure us that Jesus doesn't break bruised reeds, The same verse goes on to say, a smoldering wick he will not quench. Old Testament scholar Alec Mateer, who's now with the Lord, writes, to the servant, capital S, nothing is useless. Even the bruised reed, which is useless as a support for anything else, he preserves and as the smoldering wick, neither is anything too far gone toward extinction. Okay, that's absolutely beautiful. Jesus mends bruised reeds and he stokes the faintly burning wick. Now that's not practical. That's just precious. Picture an ancient oil lamp. The wick is almost burned to a nub. The lamp is smoking, stinking, in fact. It reeks, and you can't see a flame anymore. What do you do with a wick that's used up like that? Yank it out. Put a new one in. And move on. It's not what Jesus does. That's what I'd do. That's what you'd do. It's not what Jesus does. Jesus knows that sometimes life just burns us up. Amen? Sometimes life just depletes and reduces you. It does. Live long enough and you will suffer. And as you suffer, you'll feel diminished. You'll feel used up. You'll feel lessened and spent. Any faintly burning wicks with us this morning? I see some of your eyes. I know you're here. Yeah. Do you 
or someone you know within your sphere of influence, perhaps in your family, on your street, in your locker hallway, in the cubicle next to you, someone on your list of five, if you know someone who might be a smoldering wick, sure you do. Of course you do. Statistics say that you do. You say, but I don't know what to say to them. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Because if, if you don't say something to them, 72,000 resources on Amazon.com will. They're waiting to say something to your friend. Preempt that. You say, I don't know what to say to them. You do know what to say. Tell them you worship King Jesus, not King Cyrus. Tell them that Jesus mends bruised reeds. He doesn't break them. Tell them Jesus stokes faintly burning wicks. He doesn't quench them. Jesus is famous, yeah, but he's not like Kanye West famous. He's a different kind of famous. He's humble. He's gentle. He doesn't swagger. He's tough as granite, but he's tender as a kitten. If you or someone you know feels hopelessly spent, I'm here to tell you what a friend we have in Jesus. And what else can you say to them? Well, again, trusting that you've taken time, and I wouldn't assume that you have. You have. You've got the keys on your belt. You're understanding them. You're appreciating them. You're, they're more than depression. This person's more than a melancholic. This person's a Packer fan, so pray for them in that way. They're bigger than their depression. Appreciate them. Empathize with them, especially if they're a Packer fan. Confess you're a lot like them, except the Packer piece, and then counsel them. I'm not even a sports fan. I don't know why I said those things. Not my area of expertise. Counsel them. What do you counsel them? Counsel them from the second half of Psalm, 72, or Psalm 42, verse 11. Second half of Psalm 42, 11 says, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It is amazing what 21st century American people hope in. It's amazing. I'm depressed, so I'll hope in food. I'm depressed, so I'll hope in reclusiveness. This is interesting, too. We want our cake and eat it, too, don't we? We want to get away, but we don't want to be alone. Something's wrong, right? I'm depressed, so I'll hope in television. I'm depressed, so I'll hope in pornography. I'm depressed, so I'll hope in Amazon.com purchases. I'm depressed, so I'm going to shift the blame to another person. I'm depressed, so I'm just going to sleep a lot. I'm depressed, so I'm going to get on my social media outlets. I'm depressed, so I'll hope in... You just fill in the blank, whatever your thing is. It's not Jesus. It's an idol. The Bible gets depression. The Bible's all over depression. So it stands to reason. I mean, because the Bible's about what counseling is about, and counseling is about what the Bible is about. And the Bible's sophisticated enough to speak to depression, and it offers a prescription. The prescription is hope. Hope. Psalm 42, 11, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. You say, tell me more. I want to know more about this theory. It's not a theory. It's a person. It's a person. We counsel a person. The person and work of Jesus Christ. In his incarnation, Jesus gets you. 
through his atoning work on the cross, Jesus rescues you. By virtue of his miraculous resurrection, Jesus empowers you. Through his Holy Spirit, Jesus equips you. He won't leave you as a, as a permanent client. He wants you to get in the counseling chair and comfort others the way you've been comforted. We don't counsel the theory. We counsel pages, and every one of these pages leads to a person, and the person's Jesus. If you're with us today and you are in what John Bunyan called the slough of despond, if you're feeling like Eeyore today, and that may be too old, if you're feeling like Debbie Downer today, I don't know, Jesus has resources for you. Jesus has spectacular resources for you. He gets you, he rescues you, he'll empower you and equip you. Your depressed friend feels hopelessly spent, so tell them to hope in God who is worthy of their praise. Well, let's review. Depression is dominated by how people feel. So our task in biblical counseling is to point them toward what's real. Remember the five keys to gospel-saturated soul care. Understand them, appreciate them, seek to empathize with them, confess you're a lot like them, counsel God's word to them. Depression's not a great word, but it's the one that we have. It's the one that's been dealt to us, and it's certainly how it feels. It feels depressed. So go with that word, and then point them toward what's real. They feel internally broken, so point them to the Savior who seals such, heals such hurts. They feel hopelessly spent. Tell them to hope in God who is worthy of their praise. Next week marks the, the midway point of our Lenten season. It's hard to believe. It'll be week three. In seven days, we're halfway to Holy Week. Uh, one week from today, we're going to take up one verse in the book of Proverbs with a sermon entitled, The Fear of Man Lays a Snare. Subtitle, Counseling the Anxious. Fear, worry, anxiety. That's the stuff we live with. I hope to see you then. Right now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, you're so far ahead of the culture here. And that's a problem because the culture is pretty far ahead of the church on this issue. That's condemning. I feel like when the church steps in to talk about counseling, and then not suffering in general, because no, no psychiatrist offers a diagnosis of pain or diagnosis of suffering, but they do offer diagnoses of depression. How did it ever get this way, Lord? How did we ever lose what is our birthright? I pray, Father, that we would come humbly into this conversation. I pray that we would have our antennas up and be learners, thinkers, that we would mourn the losses of the church over the last 150 years and then praise you for the last generation or so, this resurgence of biblical counseling that is obvious if we would look around a little bit. Uh, please help us as a church, Lord, to be um, not 30,000 feet on the air, but help us to be right on the ground with this one. Help us to uh, point each other toward Jesus, sovereign Savior who provides a comprehensive rescue for us. Lord, morning is going to be how it is until you come, spare us from moping. 
Spare us from all degrees of depression, not all of it's moping. Spare us from discontentment, from feeling frozen by life, from feeling alone, from unbelief. In your precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.